Hello and welcome to the Where Do We Begin podcast. We've got a massive one, a bit, bit of a different one for you guys today. We've got Sean Edwards, Jackson. So uh, how much do you know about Sean Edwards? Look, I'm, I'm not going to say I know a whole lot about Sean, but I'm very interested to learn about him and find out more. Yeah, didn't play too many AFL games, always a bit of a prospect, but he's gone on to do some really amazing things post-career. So talk a bit about his footy career, talk a bit about post-career, a bit of everything really. So uh, yeah, let's get into it. Let's go for it. All right, we've got a very different kind of show today. I guess I only played 24 AFL games, but uh, when he was about 23, he refused the contract and he went on a very different life path. And he's only 26 now and he's achieved much more than just a good footy career. Sean Edwards, welcome to the show, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me, mate. Good, nice little introduction there. Uh, <laughs> could chat with you more often. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's great to have you on. Um, so we're just going to go through your life, really, and your career up to where you are now. So growing up in the Northern Territory, how was that? Yeah, I grew up um, mainly in Darwin, so um, which is the capital city up here in the Northern Territory. Um, but my mum grew up in a little place uh, called Gumbalanya, which is in Kakadu. Um, so the the other name for it is Ompeli. So it's a little indigenous community. Uh, about you, you drive about 330 k's down the Arnhem Highway, and you get to a place called Cahill's Crossing, um, and it's quite famous because there's heaps of crocodiles. Uh, but you actually need a permit to cross that river, and then it's another 40 k's down a dirt dirt road. So I actually grew up um, in Darwin, Gumbalanya, and then another little beach place called Mandora um, with my grandparents. So yeah, super fortunate, man. The territory's yeah, just such a beautiful, wild place, and um, yeah, very thankful to to grow up up here. Did you play much footy in your junior career? Man, I was I used to play so much sport. I actually come from a rugby league um, family. So uh, my grandparents started a, a club up here called the Knife of Dragons, um, which they're still sort of heavily involved in. So I played rugby up until I was about 12, basketball, rugby union. Um, and then, yeah, my dad took me down to Auskick and, um, yeah, just sort of fell in love with the game and, um, I got given a scholarship to Melbourne Grammar and sort of, yeah, my footy life just sort of took off. So, um, yeah, obviously ended up playing playing a fair bit down south. Yeah, how did that scholarship to Melbourne Grammar come about? Uh, mate, I was a bit of a trouble kid, believe it or not. I probably sound a bit cheeky on the podcast, but I was, I was a little bit of a wild child and um, I just needed to get out of Darwin. Um, so, a family friend sort of knew that I was pretty talented. I'd sort of, I'd made every rep team... Um, possible like playing sport and um people sort of thought i could have a career with footy so i had an interview with melbourne grammar um midway through year eight and then yeah they just offered me a full scholarship year nine to 12 um so yeah i just sort of took it and never really been on a plane or a big city but yeah got shipped off back in in 2008 and yeah it was sort of a pretty life-changing moment and um something that i'm really grateful for now how was it adjusting to the Melbourne lifestyle? Um, I know it's a huge city compared to Darwin, but how was it adjusting? Oh, mate, it's so funny now. Like, all my mates in Melbourne, like, they just giggle when I'm, like, cruising around Fitzroy, like, trying to be, like, the most stylish guy. Like, I'd never, like, I'd never worn, like, you know how people wear, like, you, you wear, your, like, black shoes, leather shoes at school? Like, I'd never worn them in Darwin. I'd never worn, like, school uniform. I stopped taking a backpack to school, like, mid-year eight. I'd rock up at recess with, like, an iced coffee. And then all of a sudden, I just got put in this rich, like, bougie suburb, South Yarra. And, like, everyone was driving Porsches, which I'd, like, never heard of. Everyone was wearing Ralph Lauren, like, Calvin Klein. I was just, like, a little bush kid who'd wear, like, footy singlets and cut my footies up and make Shanghai's and cruise around, like, chasing animals. And then all of a sudden, I was just in Melbourne. So, yeah, it took me – literally, probably took me until I was about 20. So, yeah, almost six or seven years of living in the city to be, like – yeah, just adjust to the lifestyle because um, like even like even hanging out with girls, man, like no one in Darwin really wears makeup. So like going down south and everyone would be dressing up and um, yeah, it was just a crazy lifestyle change. At a boarding school or with a family? No, I was in boarding school, man. So I lived on Domain Road um, in South Yarra. So um, there was it was good, man. There was about 10 of us Indigenous lads that came down from Darwin um, and they just, yeah, set us up in boarding school and away we went. So do you, did you live with anyone or went to school with anyone who's in the AFL now? Yeah, so um, quite a few actually. So Stephen May, 
um, who's now at the Melbourne Demons. So he was a year older than me. We got drafted around the same time. So I got drafted midway through year 11 and he got drafted in year 12. Like he sort of knew he was going to the Gold Coast for a while and I knew I was going to the Giants. Um, so that was pretty cool. Like we're, I spoke to him the other day on the phone. Like we've sort of been through, you know, a lot together, highs and lows of AFL careers. He's definitely had a lot, lot more highs than I have. But um, yeah, there's, there's heaps, man. Like Roland Archie got drafted to the Gold Coast. I don't know if he played a game. Anthony Long went pick 30 to the Bombers. He's still one of my best mates. Um, Zach Merritt was in year nine. It's quite funny now, and I'm not sure Zach would find it funny, but when I left, I was obviously on an AFL list, and I signed I signed a jumper and gave it to him, and I was like, to Zach, like, signed it. But now I'd be begging him for his signature because <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be worth a lot more than mine. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, Melbourne Grammar, like, we had Alex Keith, um, Jackson Payne went to Collingwood, played at Brisbane. So, yeah, there was a tapestry of um, players that ended up playing some good league footy. I know um, Stephen May was a Bombers fan. Uh, were you a Bombers fan as well growing up? Mate, believe it or not, like, I actually never really watched footy. Like, and I don't even watch it now. Um, and I don't follow anyone at all. Like, I can't – I watched the St Kilda game on Thursday night because I go um, get a $15 steak with the boys at the local pub, but – I um, mate, I never watch footy, eh? and I don't follow anyone. I still don't follow anyone. I think because Darwin's so remote, like you don't go to the MCG or you don't go to the Gabba. Like I just watch local footy, and I still just love like local footy and local sport versus like you know the the highs of AFL footy. St Mary's, your local team, yeah. Yeah, St Mary's, man. So um, come back, and we made the grand final last year. We lost by a few kicks, so. Um, yeah, it's been good to get back up here, bro, and, and play with all the all the boys. So, um, yeah, it's been nice. So how did the whole move to GWS come about? Mate, this is the funniest draft story of all time. So I, I actually got picked up when I was 16 and because um, the Giants weren't – they were t- still Team GWS. So they, all they had, they would have had a CEO. Um, I think Kevin Sheedy was the coach. Um, and I got drafted via email and I know that sounds ridiculous, but I was sitting in my room with a mate and we're just, I don't know, we probably should have been doing homework. We're just hanging out. And then this email comes through and it's like three year contract, Sean Edwards. And then I like, was like, what the hell? And I was in the AIS at that time. And I was like, I rang my dad and I was like, Hey dad, I think I just, I got this weird email. Like I might've just got drafted. And, um, and then, so I rang dad and he's like, sweet, like send it over, like forward it on and then forward it on. He's like, yeah, I think it kind of looks legit. And then the next day they rang me and then I, yeah, like overnight, three year deal, um, halfway through 11, I started getting paid like straight away. Um, yeah, it was crazy, man. And then I got flown to Sydney and they weren't even a club then. They were still team GWS. And I remember going out there and they were talking about signing Jeremy Cameron. They said they got this mad, like bush boy loves shooting and fishing. And I was like, oh man, I'll probably get along with him pretty well. Um, so yeah, it was it, like real crazy. And to, to see them in the grand final last year, it's like from that moment is, um, yeah, pretty surreal. Did you ever have your sights on a, another career or was it always just like footy, footy, footy? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know, man. I think, I think most boys who come from like regional places or like, you know, I come from a pretty humble beginning, like a, you know, a family just full of love, not really full of money. So footy for me was like a, a ticket out. So that's the way I, I sort of saw it, like as a break in my lifestyle and um, some of the issues that were going up in the territory. So I didn't really – like I just grew up loving sport, man. I would always have a tennis ball or like a rugby ball and I will just go to the park by myself and I'll just be – I'll just go there and just kick the ball at a tree like all afternoon and then I'll just like kick the soccer ball at the wall. And then it just ended up that I was good at footy and just kind of – snowballed if that makes sense and all of a sudden I was then I was just playing AFL it wasn't like you know I didn't sleep with a bloody Hawthorne jumper like wanting to be Luke Hodge I just kind of just kept kicking the footy become good and then that was it really so you made your club debut for the Giants in the kneeful ironically in Darwin against the Thunder how was that for you yeah that was yeah I was still I was still a young fella then man I was still 16 I was halfway th- yeah, halfway through school and coming back up and playing against a lot of the, you know, really good Territorian players. Um, you know, like Cam Islet's won a few league medals up here and he's quite a notable um, country footy player around Australia. It was, yeah, it was just surreal, man. It was like now when I look at 16-year-old kids um, and I'm just like, how was I processing all this stuff um, back then? But it was it was awesome to come back to the Darwin and 
sort of full circle and put on the Giants kit. Um, I, I can't remember if Izzy Flower was playing then, but, you know, we had like Dill Shield, Tommy Bug, um, yeah, some notable players that have had really good AFL careers. So, yeah, it's always good to lace up the boots in Darwin. Then the AFL debut against Adelaide. In Adelaide, did the family get down to Adelaide for that one? Yeah, man, yeah. The uh, As I said, my mum has always lived in, like, remote communities. So um, she flew down with her partner, my grandparents, uh, my sister, my girlfriend at the time and her family. Um, yeah, so that, that was good, man. And that's kind of like yeah, everyone sort of says it, but it's a really good moment, not just for you, but, like, for your family to actually see you. Um, yeah, see you running around on the big stage. Then a goal and debut, bit of a dream come true. Yeah, man, got a little cheeky one out of the back. I seen it sort of slide out, and I was playing on um, what's his name? Big truck man. He's coaching the bombers now. Oh, Ben Rutten. Rutten. Yeah, Ben. Rutten. I played on Rutten, man, and I would have been like eighty kilos, ringing wet, like little athletic, like high flyer type player. And then Rutten just comes out and puts his big hairy forearm across my chest, and I was like. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? Um, but, yeah, I, mean, I, only, I think I only had like five five or six touches, but got the snag and, um, yeah, it was, just, it was just unreal to be like when you flick on TV the next day, you're like, oh, yeah, I was playing in that. So, um, yeah, it was a cool experience, man. So you did touch on it before, but how was it being a part of the GWS group from literally the beginning? Yeah, I think – to be honest, like I got sent my little um, past players hat the other day and my membership for the year from the Giants, like got in the mail. And I just sort of sat there. I was like, wow, it's like a full club now and they're doing well. Like, yeah, it was super weird, man. Like we were all just like 16, 17, cruising around pre- breakfast point. Um, yeah, I just can't believe how far they've come, man. And like just like, the quality of the team that they've got now and all the – they're all superstars. Like like Steve Knigge, though, um, we all went through AOS together. And now they're like the, you know, they're the Joel Selwoods of um, of the AFL now. It's, yeah, it's just crazy. Uh, over a couple of seasons at the Giants, 12 games, but no wins uh, in your games. Was that a bit, bit of a struggle, like breaking into the team and then the team not really doing well as a whole? Mate, it was the, like, I think my whole AFL career, I think I played like 24, 25 games. I think I only won one game. And I'll, I don't know if you guys can get it, but, like, the average losing margin of my games, because I was at Bombers when we were no good, Giants no good. Like, the Giants, we lost by one game by 180 points to Hawthorne, man. Buddy kicked, like, 10 goals. Cyril kicked, like, four or five. Roughhead was just, like, snagging him. Um, but, yeah, it was just, like, man, it was so much fun, though. We all lived in the same suburb. We used to have, like, happy hour at the pub. Like, Craig Lambert would just, like, text him, like, right, boys, meet at the Palace, and then you'd just get vodka vodka cruises and just go for it man and then everyone would just rock up train hard but we're getting smashed but we just knew that we we're going to come good in a few years if everyone stuck together and yeah the plan sort of rolled out like it's it's crazy that they've sort of almost done what they set out to do so um but yeah back to the question they yeah those early years man getting pumped like getting called witches hats and you just didn't really feel like you're a, a legit afl player because we were just like games were getting thrown around and they were just getting smashed so it was a weird time so you were coached by one of like the most important AFL coaches of all time. How was that? Big Sheedos. Yeah, it's good. Big Sheeds. Big Sheeds. Yeah, Sheeds is a legend, man. He, um, I actually, I think I, my, I, I had a seven-year AFL career, and I had a different coach every year. Believe it or not, I had seven coaches all up. But Sheeds, Sheeds is like in terms of even just like life skills, like his business development skills of like learning how to grow the club and the game. Um, and then just like, just everyone that he knows and like the, so you could be anywhere and then like someone will know Sheeds and he'll be able to help you out. Even like to this day, if you're at a function, um, he still remembers who you are and, um, yeah, just the impact that he had growing the game, not so much the footy stuff, like Choco used to do most of the footy like skills. Um, but yeah, just his, like his way of galvanizing a group, Sheeds is, is unbelievable. And he's not, a, he's not a bad bloke to have a beer with as well, which is always important. I reckon, just having a guess, some some of the GWS boys would have been kind of in awe in their first year, coached by Sheeds, but you, not really a big follower of the actual league, the AFL itself, was a bit different for you being coached by Sheeds as opposed to a big follower of the AFL? Well, because Sheeds had such a close connection with Michael Long um, and he comes from St. Mary's, so I, I used to see Sheeds around our footy club all the time and he'd be like on the piss like from when I was like 10, I'd just see him around. So it wasn't really like, I wasn't really starstruck and then, 
yeah, I just, well, I think I was too young to even realize like who these people were. I think if I met them now, I'd be a little bit different, but I was just a young kid and I was just very excited by the opportunity that I had. And Sheeds obviously gravitates towards the indigenous boys. Um, he loves all our stories. Um, he's just a super nice guy. He's got a beautiful family. I spoke to his son uh, on Facebook Messenger the other day, actually, Sam Sheedy. Um, yeah, he's just he's just a ripper bloke and he sort of, yeah, he doesn't really carry on like some of the other people in the AFL circle. Like he's just, I think that's why he's been around for so long and had so many opportunities because he's just a good fella um, and I always got along with him really well. So in 2013, you got traded to Essendon after their drug saga happened. How was that? How did that come about? Yeah, it was super random, man. So I kind of, my last year at the Giants, I was I was living in Sydney and it was like super busy, man, like Parramatta Road, like you miss one turn off, you might as well just rule your whole day out. Like you had to pay for parking in Bondi. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like I don't know anyone in this city. Um, I'm just driving around like on my days off, just buying clothes because I'm so bored. So I was like, you know, I need to go back to Melbourne. There's obviously no teams in that, you know, in in Darwin, sorry. So um, I caught up with West Coast during the year. I caught up with the Brisbane Lions. I flew over to Adelaide, had a meeting with them, and I was all set to go. I had a three-year deal. Um, Adelaide put together like a real good presentation, told me where I was going to play, um, did all their due diligence. And then the trade period came around, and um, I was actually over in Ireland um, playing for the All-Stars team against Ireland. So I was in Dublin. And, yeah, the Bombers rang. Well, they, Adrian Dodoro kept ringing me, like, throughout the whole trade period. And he's like, I don't know if you guys have ever watched many of his interviews, but he's like full turbo bloke. And he just kept ringing me saying, like, mate, we want you with the Bombers. And I was like, cool, man. Like, put together, like, a contract. I don't, that doesn't really mean anything. And, um, yeah, then on the last minute, Adelaide, um, the Giants wanted to trade Kurt Aylett as well, but Adelaide didn't want to take him in the package deal. Um, and I think Giants wanted pick 23, which the Crows ended up using to get Matt Crouch, which has obviously turned out he's played 100 games. He's probably even one of best and fairest. Um, so they made the right choice there. And then the Bombers just came late and said, mate, we'll give you a three-year deal. Um, you'll be a Bomber in 10 minutes if you if you want to, if you want to be. My manager rang me at midnight in Dublin. I was standing in in this big castle. And I was, with, I was rooming with Jake Need, and I was just like, Russ, what do you reckon? He's like, oh, man, it's just, just take it. Just go to the Bombers. Um, and then, yeah, so bring my manager back and then 10 minutes later, I was, I was on AFL trade radio and it was three year deal to the Bombers. If you're killing it, just hypothetically, if you were killing it at GWS playing week in, week out, do you reckon that trade to the Bombers still happens? I think so, man. I think people sort of forget like, like footies. Oh, I'm very much like not a footy head obviously, but like footy's awesome. And like, it's so good. Like you get heaps of opportunities, but it's not your whole life. Like. You know, you still got like you might have your partner, your missus, kids, job opportunities, might be university. Um, and I'd already been living away from home since I was thirteen or fourteen, and the next best thing was was Melbourne. So, um, yeah, I just I knew I had to be back around like my family and friends at that point in my life. Uh, my dad ended up getting leukemia um, the next year, so I knew I just needed a little bit more support because I was yeah I was still just a kid, man. Like people sort of forget. Um, you know, we put all these athletes up to guide our society and all that. But, man, they're just kids. So, yeah, I think I always, yeah, wanted to get out of the Giants. And I kind of knew anyway, like, I was looking at the team and I was like, man, for the next five years we're going to get pick one, two, and three. I'm sort of on the fringe. Um, yeah, so, and I'd yeah, no regrets. So it all worked out, worked out well in the end. So going to the Bombers, the results aren't great during most of your time there and controversy all over the place. Were you expecting something better than it was, or was it? Did it meet your expectations, really? Oh, I don't like to. Absolutely no regrets going to Essendon, but yeah, it just wasn't the whole time. Just wasn't. Um, yeah, it just wasn't what I thought it'd be. I got there, and then, mate, it was just media crazy. Like Heard wasn't coaching, and then like he was coming back to coach, but then Bomber still wanted to coach. So my first year was like I had a I had a really crook shoulder that I just should have got a shoulder recon on. Um, I was really inconsistent, like my first year in the BFL. My dad got cancer. Um, I was 19. I had like all the pressures of like supporting family and friends like through that time. Um, and then yeah, it just sort of made just go so quick. And then Herdy came back. I had a really good, had a really good second year with Herdy. I played 10 games, dominated the BFL. I was coming like second in the Liston halfway through the year. 
played the back half of the year in the AFL. Then I think Hurdy, he might have got sacked, I reckon, that second year. Um, Wusha comes in, everyone gets banned. Like, it was just like the weirdest thing. Like, my, I was real good mates with Tate Pears. Like, he got banned, and I was just like, what am I even doing? Like, this is so stressful. Everyone's just like hating life. You'd go to the club, everyone was down and out. Um, yeah, they sort of did what they could do during that time. Like, but yeah, you just really learned about human behavior, to be honest. Like, it was quite a turmoil time. But um, yeah, sort of thankful it wasn't me. Like, watching some of the stress that the boys went under. Um, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy, man. Do you think it was a really good learning experience, like being 19, as you said, and being one of the players who had to step up in in spite of all those players being suspended? Yeah, I don't know. It's funny, like, because I'm still really, like, I lived with Joey Danaher for a bit last year, and we sort of, every now and then, you sort of you sort of reflect on, on, on that time. But I just think it was, a, even now, like, now that I'm working, I work mainly in the non-for-profit sector, which... Um, you know, it can offer different challenges for people's emotions. Um, I think going through that time just really taught me about human behavior and, um, you know, how you can actually just get through things. Like, I'm not sure I'll ever go through something as stressful as that again, you know, besides like death or children or, yeah, because literally, man, like paparazzi, like at your house, everywhere you go, like you're around Essen and people are staring at you, people are saying stuff when you're going out, it's all over social media, like every day. So, yeah, it feels like a whole lifetime ago now. I actually haven't really yeah, thought or thought about it, to be honest. When you actually got on the field for Essendon, was it more of a – because Essendon's a massive club, obviously, compared to GWS, the new team. Did it feel like a big honour to pull on the red and black at the MCG and big grounds like that? Yeah, man, yeah, like bloody oath. Like my first three years like at the Giants, like I just didn't even feel like an AFL player. Like no one – like, no one sort of really followed my story and, like, you just – you're playing, you're debuting, but you're playing in front of, like, 8,000 people on the Gold Coast. Like, you know, like, Izzy Flowers there and, like, it was – but then when I went to the Bombers, like, you walk in, like, Joe Watson, there's all this history, like, you know, Paddy Ryder. We had heaps of Indigenous boys there. Um, and I knew I knew every single, like, one of those players because of, like, Dreamtime and the G. Um, oh, Dempsey. I seen Dempsey was on the podcast a few weeks ago. So all these sort of blokes and, yeah, it just made such a difference. I debuted, I think, over in West Coast kicked a few goals and like, yeah, just the crowd and the, mate, everyone like, people are so faithful and loyal to the Bombers, man. It's crazy. Like people just give up their whole lives and like fly around the country. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a different feeling like playing in front of 80,000 people compared to 8,000 in spot, at Spotless Stadium. You mentioned Izzy Falau there. What was that whole experience of playing with him like at the Giants just taking a step back there? Yeah, man, Izzy, obviously he's gone down a bit of a controversial Ralph's for the last few years to say that along with him really well, and he was such a good family man. Um, he obviously was learning a lot of money, earning a lot of money. Um, so he, you know, his family lived with him, um, and just the pressures that he would have been under as well. Like, as a, he wasn't just any sort of player, um, playing rugby league, he was you know, he was one of the stars. So he come over and he's like 120 kilos, he was trying to run a 3k, um, with all us boys at like 80 kegs, and we've been running our whole lives. So, um, yeah, it was crazy, man. I, I, I got along with him really well, and um, I used to run into him, actually, um, when he was playing at the Tigers. I was at the Swans. We'd have a coffee every now and then um, at the stadium there in Sydney. So, yeah, it's obviously probably don't really want to get onto the topic of all his controversy, but, yeah, he was a good, he was a good fella. So moving to Essendon um, after being in Sydney for so long, did you settle, even though everything surrounding the club? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's like looking back now, I'm 26 and I've lived a pretty crazy life these last few years. But yeah, man, like like I said, like I got to the Bombers and in my first few weeks, um, my dad was exporting timber out of PNG and almost died. He had to get like medivacs out of um, Papua New Guinea. Um, we thought he was going to die. I had to get on a plane, fl- flew to Cairns, um, met him at the hospital and we thought he was all good. And then he got diagnosed with leukemia. Um I obviously was earning a fair bit of money at that time. So just the pressures of like that on the family. Um, and I, I just think that Essendon had so much going on at the time that things like that sort of got – probably didn't really get looked after as well as maybe if I was at another club that, um, yeah, would have had a bit of better support. But it was just a crazy time, man. And then like all the boys got banned and then all these new teammates came in and then I was out of contract and then I sort of knew 
at the start of my last year that I was like, oh, I'm not really getting the vibe here. I've just got to play good VFL and see if I can get another opportunity. So, yeah, man, it was it was a pretty patchy, like, few years to say the least, I reckon. Yeah, I'm a big Bombers fan myself. I remember in 2016, everyone was talking about you killing it in the VFL every week pretty much, but not really getting much of a look in in the seniors. And then you got delisted at the end of the year. Everyone's like, holy shit, why has this happened? Was that expected for you? Yeah, I kind of, like, obviously, I, I thought I was playing pretty good footy. And, like, even, um, you know, like, if I, like, I was always polling well, like, in the list, and I'd dominate, like, if I'd go in the middle, I'd have 30 touches, running bounces, kick a few goals. But, um, yeah, I just couldn't really get the consistency of opportunities. And I was sort of looking around the team, and they were playing younger blokes, and um, I sort of knew, like, Wusha, I played that, I played NAB 1. I had a ripping preseason. I played NAB 1 against Colton. I'm pretty sure I was in the top three players. I got, like, named, like, yeah, one, two or three. And then I got sick the next week when we played the Cats um, on our community camp. I get I get these migraines where um, for like 24 hours I just spew and I'm really crook. So that actually came on mid-game. Um, so I couldn't see. Like I, I, I'm not sure. I've never watched the footage, but I could not see the ball. My eyes just went all black. I had to go lay down in the shower. I got driven back to Melbourne. I just had to sit in a dark room for like two or three days. Um, and then I got dropped. And I was like, wow, I, I was one of the best players. I've got crook and I've got dropped. I was like, it's going to be it's going to be a tough year. So I had to settle myself up um, to deal with the emotions of, you know, everyone's just got banned and I'm not really going to get an opportunity here. Um, but I just knew I had to go back to the VFL and play good footy and um, was super lucky that, yeah, the Swans were just watching and they were even they were a bit confused. They're just like, mate, we can't work out why, you know, you're 21, 22, like you're dominating VFL. We, everyone just can't work out why you're not getting to go. And I was like... I was like, mate, I don't know. I must have hooked up with someone's daughter or someone's missus along the track because um, they're, they're definitely off me. So you did get picked up by the Swans. How did that come about? Did they contact you or were there any other clubs involved? No, I caught up with them midway through the BFL final. So I had a pretty good final series. Um, and I caught up with Kinnear Beatson, who's a like recruiter, and he was just like, mate, no promises. This is what we're about. Blood's culture explained it all to me. And I was like, mate, that sounds like the best thing ever. Like, that's just what I've been crying out for. Um, you know, my career, I was at the Giants. You know, I've had five or six coaches in like five years. Like, people go their whole 15-year careers and only have one coach. And I was like, mate, I just want some consistency. Like, I just want to rock up and know that, like, this is what it is. And then I'll just get to work. And he said, all right. Um, he's like, go away, get fit, see what you can do. So, mate, I went went away. I, I found um, the Australian sprint coach. Um, I trained my whole off-season. I gave up drinking for like eight months, just like full focused. Um, and then I'm, I'm really big on like manifestation. So I was like, mate, I literally with every day, I was like, I'm, getting, I'm getting picked up by the Swans. I was just saying it to everyone. Um, even on the morning of the draft, so the rookie draft, I, I actually packed my car in Melbourne and just like started driving. So I was six hours into my trip. When I got on the when I got picked up to the rookie list, and the coaches were loving it because they're like, "Mate, this bloke's already driving here. We haven't even picked him up." Um, so yeah, it all sort of happened pretty quick, man. And then I just got straight to Sydney and um, got to work. Really, I was just a rookie, and um, yeah, started training literally the next day. I went up there, stayed with the host family for a few nights, and Reshaw picked me up in the morning and went to training, and that was it. Obviously, you never got a game at the Swans in the senior team, but. What was your training level? How was your skill compared to the rest of the players there? Yeah, it was all right, man. I like I've had a ridiculously good year in the in the NFL. Like I think most AFL boys do. Like you sort of average. I think one game I had like thirty eight, a kick, four goals, six from the middle against Gold Coast. So you can sort of dominate that league. Um, you know, if you're fit and firing. I got elevated a few times, man. I got like I was emergency round one. I would have been emergency like eight times, I reckon, that year. And then I did my AC joint. Um, I probably would have played that week. I did it up in Darwin. Um, and then, yeah, just, man, just un- unlucky, bro, just timing. Um, footy can sort of, yeah, you only got your little window of opportunity. And I probably would have played that week because I think I can't remember who was out. I think Jonesy was out. Um, but I did my AC join. Horse was, was shattered. And man, I just went up there and had a crack, man. I've just become real good mates. I went to Portugal and um, France last year at Rampy. You know, I became real good mates with Hanabry, um, Josh Kennedy, yeah, just got along with the boys really well. And there's such a fantastic footy club, like from the property steward to, you know, the CEO and Tom Harley, who was my coach at AIS. He's, he's still a good mate now. I text him 
I text him, Mickey O, I'm doing this charity thing. Mickey O just donated 500 bucks the other day. Um, Goodsy lived in North Bondi. Um, yeah, man, I, I love Sydney. Like, I, I, if my son or daughter ever wants to play AFL, I'll be trying to get them to the Swans, that's for sure. So they were just coming off a grand final. How was the crew there? They were obviously a pretty good team, but how were they as like people and and just actual footy players? Man, like super humble. Like, you know, being an Essendon in the thick of it in Melbourne, like you can sort of get caught up with your own importance. And I sort of – then I moved to Sydney and like Jared McVeigh, who's, you know, one of the best players to lace up a boot, is just cruising around Bondi. No one knows who he is. And everyone just – like the Bloods culture, like I cannot speak highly enough of that place. Like everyone just buys in and they just – you just know what's expected of you and then if you do that, the rest will take care of itself. I obviously didn't debut but, um, yeah, just fit it in really well because I, you just have really clear expectations and, and the, yeah, the one word is just humble. Like they come off the grand final, they just dominated like for the last 10 years but you wouldn't know like watching them train. They're, they're as hungry as, um, as anyone. Yeah, speaking about that Sydney lifestyle and the club's culture, I can definitely see why a certain kind of person like Joey Danaher would want to move up there. But moving off that a bit, refusing the contract uh, from the Swans, what was that whole – what were the reasons for that and why did that come about? Yeah, I bit of a weird one. I, um, I'd obviously – so I'd had a seven-year AFL career by the time I was 23 when that decision came around and I was like – like, I, I loved it. Like, don't get me wrong, but, like, people sort of forget that it's, like, it's a job, you know, and it's a full lifestyle. Like, if you want to play AFL footy or you want to do anything well, you've got to commit your whole life. You can't just be like, oh, I want to um and ah. And I'd, I'd taken the year off, like, drinking. I'd live by myself, and I really got into, like, reading books, and I was just sort of going – I sort of felt, felt myself going down this other path, and I'd one of my best mates um, – was, was working at a charity called AIM um, and they were going to go over to America and start up an American side of their um, of their charity. And I sort of saw the stuff that he was doing and I was sort of looking at my life and I was, you know, I was driving down to Newcastle playing footy and I just wasn't really enjoying it. I hadn't really been enjoying it for a few years. And then um, I just kept catching up with Dennis Carroll, like the welfare manager at the Swans. And I was like, mate, look, I'm, I'm just not really enjoying footy. I was like, I find it monotonous. Um, Monday to Friday is the same, like training is the same. I'm fit as a fiddle. Like, it's not, I just don't really find it. Like, I don't, I don't know if, like, it's obviously a very challenging thing, like playing AFL footy, but it just became, yeah, like the same thing. And I had this big list of things that I wanted to do. And um, I was like, look, footy's probably not going to support um, that list. You know, like, it was a lot of traveling involved. Um, just, yeah, I just really wanted to do some different things and break the mold of that just being another kid from Darwin, an Indigenous kid who plays AFL, I wanted to sort of go away and create a whole other life for myself. I didn't really know what I was going to do, but, um, yeah, I just knew that I wanted to come back to the Territory some stage and, yeah, do some charitable work or work in Indigenous education and health because, yeah, footy's funny, man. Like, you go, you're just a kid and then all of a sudden you're on a couple hundred thousand dollars and, like, everything changes for you. But I just sort of saw that my community was just, like, staying the same. So I was like, well... This is all cool, but, like, if I died tomorrow, I would have, like, a nice car and a house. But, like, what have I really done? Like, I've just kicked the footy around the oval. So, um, yeah, I just sort of said, fuck it, man, and followed my gut and just retired. It's, it's pretty funny now, but I've had, man, I've had the best three years, like, since. Um, so, yeah, no no regrets as, as of yet. So, yeah, you did retire. Can you explain to us what you've been doing in these last three years? Yeah, man. So literally I retired and then I flew to Vietnam like the next day, spent a month over there. Um, and then I went to Nepal. I went to Nepal. I went all through Southeast Asia, did like Everest Base Camp. And I've basically just been traveling the world, man, the last three years. I, uh, I was living in Los Angeles last year. Uh, so I went over to America, started um, AIM over there. Just been driving around Australia. I bought an old 93 Land Cruiser off my granddad, kitted it out. I've been driving that around Australia. Mate, I surfed all the way down the Portugal coast last year with um, Rampy, Matteo Dwyer, Louis Stevenson. Spent a month in Paris, um, driven across America. Yeah, sort of been, sort of been doing it all, man. Been getting into photography a fair bit. Ryan Brabazon used to play at the Swans. Um, caught up with him in New York. He sort of taught me a few things about photography. And I just basically tried to find a way to support traveling and um, and doing as much good as I as I could along the journey. 
So what kind of stuff do you do for your work when you're traveling all around? Yeah, so when we started AIM in America, we um, we chartered a plane. So we bought a whole, like a, like a Boeing flight from LA to Sydney. So we literally bought a whole Virgin plane for the day to fly over 200 uh, college students and 137 storytellers, CEOs, philanthropists um, to bring them to Australia for a festival of mentoring. And then they'll go back to their college and implement the program. Um, so man, I spent yeah a few years like driving around America. I ended up, man, I ended up at like the most random things. I had dinner with like a presidential candidate in New York. Um, my mate's got a kid to one of the actors off Orange is the New Black. So I went to like all these plays. Had dinner with Gang of Youth in Chicago. Went backstage with the Foo Fighters. Went to the Grammy Awards last year. Moved in with um, Dan Single, who started Subi, like one of Australia's biggest fashion brands in LA. Lived with him in Mid City. Mate went to Burning Man, did an art installation. Uh, went to Coachella, threw a few parties there. Uh, went to a few gallery, sh- like Indigenous gallery shows in um, Paris. Like wrote some stories. Man, I've just been hustling, really, like doing anything possible to make a bit of coin and um, keep the dream alive. <laughs> so it, it seems you've had a pretty huge three years. Um, back when you were playing AFL, was there much like support of what you were going to do after the after your career? Well, I kind of like I I guess I'll probably even like talking to me now. You guys are like, oh, he's a little bit different to the other footballers. Like I kind of knew that I was into different stuff, like. You know, I've got like 300 books or something at home, man. I read like a book a week. I kind of knew what I was into, but I just didn't know how to create it, like if that makes sense. Whereas like, you know, you've got like a careers transition person at the PA, but, you know, they're going to try to get you into construction or get you to do a trade or – but I was kind of – I knew I was going down this little bit more like creative um, entrepreneur type setup. And I know like – and I still really haven't got to the end result of what I'm doing, but like, you know, I started a, like a T-shirt brand um, – making like garments like inspired by the territory and I've been like selling them along the way. I got, um, I've been selling like vintage clothing from LA. I've got this 35, um, thousand square meter like warehouse in LA that I go handpick vintage. Um, yeah. So that's sort of some of the stuff, but AFL, like it's kind of just boring, man. Like you go in there, they're like, Oh yeah, go to uni. And I did like, I got diplomas and I started my masters. I did a few subjects off that, but then I was like, this is kind of boring. Like what, I don't really want to do like a nine to five. Like I want to be out taking photos with like Wrangler in like the desert in Utah or like I want to go to Burning Man and like dance with Paris Hilton, you know, like I want to like have a bit of fun. So that's sort of what I've been doing, man. I've just been trying to create ways to support the lifestyle that I want to live. Yeah, lots of Indigenous education stuff too. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, man. So I'm actually just loading up my Land Cruiser now. Um so I just raised about 20 grand over the last few few weeks of charitable goods. Um, so I bought sporting equipment, uh, footies. I've got heaps of old donations. Uh, I've got children's books. So I'm driving out to Nulemboy. Um, tomorrow I'm stopping in Catherine, got a helicopter ride there. We're going to take some photos. But, yeah, man, like part of the beautiful thing about playing AFL is that um, you get a bit of a profile and you get to learn really good habits, you know, like resilience. Like I, I – I was on a list for seven years, man. I only got picked in the AFL 24 times. And all like people look at your career and they're like, oh, I didn't really have that great a career. But, man, like the resilience that I have compared to someone who goes in, plays AFL straight away, like gets it all easy, like I honestly think it's worth more, um, you know, like going down that harder road. Like I had injuries, shoulder injuries. And if I can transfer those skills onto my community, especially back here in the Territory, um, then everyone's a winner. So... <laughs> Yeah, that's sort of what I've been doing, man, and um, and I've been loving it, and everyone's been really supportive. Um, obviously, like, trying to explain that, you know, I didn't want to play AFL anymore is really tough, man. Like, your whole family, friends, like, you know, you guys are probably just like, why would this guy not want to play AFL? Everyone wants to play AFL. But, yeah, I sort of just thought, fuck, man, like, humanity's been around for, like, however long. I've only got 80 years on average of life. I've already dedicated, like, 15 to 20 years to this pursuit that I don't really care about. But if I can make an impact and lift like the educational disparity of the indigenous people by 2%, well then that's like 60,000 people's lives that I'm going to change. That's generational impact. So, um, yeah, not saying footy's like a bad thing, but I'm just saying like there's bigger things going on, you know, there's like one of the biggest like refugee crises has gone on in the world since world war two. There's like displaced humans everywhere. There's things going on and people are still, you know, there's so many media people just like carrying on about footy all the time. It's like, bruh, so, you know, it's not, you don't really need to get that news story out. Like just maybe just take your day and like 
do something nice for someone else. <laughs> yeah, so you talk about the big disparity between Indigenous people and uh, white guys in Australia, and you've lived in Darwin and Sydney and Melbourne. What's the treatment of Indigenous people like in those three places comparatively? Man, have you guys been to Darwin before? No, I haven't. Have you, Jackson? No, I have not. Yeah, so Darwin. So basically, if you get if you get a if you get a line um, and draw it like the line of Tropicorn across Australia, like Brisbane and up, only three percent of Australia's population live above there. But because we're so close to Asia, um, it's such a multicultural melting pot. Like here in Darwin, like you had the Chinese people that came here in the gold rush. Um, you obviously had colonization, like back when Captain Cook, the big fellow, landed in Sydney. But it's just such a good like place up here, and you just learn to get along with everyone because um, like forty percent of the population is indigenous, so everyone's like, you know, is a minority or comes from a diverse background. So you're sort of forced to understand and learn about different cultures. But I feel like in Melbourne and Sydney, like everyone sort of sticks in their silos of people. You know, like Melbourne grammar people, like not all of them, but like they're very like Turak, South Yarra, like let's go to the Sorrento pub. Like you can almost script like they're weak um, for 90% of them. Like all my mates do the same shit. They all wear chinos, RM Williams and like a, and a linen shirt. And I'm just like, bro, like just go around the corner and buy something else. Like look a little bit different. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm really answering your question, but I just feel like, yeah, growing up here and you just get treated with respect. Whereas down there, I think, I think people aren't really ready to accept like the education of this country. Like we've got 60,000 years oldest continuing surviving culture in the world. And it's like literally a Christmas present sitting under the tree where we could market Australia as this beautiful place like New Zealand. But yeah, it's just people just not really treating it with the respect um, that it deserves and the indigenous people with the respect that they deserve. And uh, how do you think the indigenous people are treated in the AFL as well? Yeah, I think it's getting better, man. Like obviously... Even when I got there, man, like you sort of get stereotyped like you're going to be late or that you're just like some flashy player. Like I remember Neville Jetta, like they always tried to play him in the forward pocket because he was like indigenous and like small. But he's the hard nut, like lockdown defender. Like he'll, you know, he'll kill you like just to get to the footy. But his first few years, he was really inconsistent. And I had the same manager and they were like, yeah, they just play him like forward pocket. Like, and I was like, man. And then he went down back and now he's in all Australian. Like, um, so, yeah, it's definitely getting better. Still a long way to go. Like, you know, Eddie Betts is obviously facing, like, racial things all the time. And, um, yeah, I think I'd, I'd still challenge the AFL to, you know, not just be a, a poster company. Don't just put out that, you you know, you do all this engagement and, um, yeah, really get out there and, and get, get back into the community because sometimes I feel like it's a little bit of propaganda with, you know, all the stuff that they do. Yeah, so um, talk to us a bit about your GoFundMe that's going on with your sports equipment up in Arnhem Land. Yeah, man. Yeah. So as I was saying before, I got a, got a fellowship from Melbourne Grammar. Um, so they awarded me some coins to do like a community program here in Australia. Um, so basically I just, I raised a bunch of coin. Um, I was just, I was just going to FaceTime you guys and show you them, but you can't FaceTime <laughs> on podcasts. Um, that's the whole point of it. But I've literally, man, I've got this land cruiser and it's just full of like footies. So I bought about 10 grand worth, um, the other day and there's a bit of a news article and, um, so, mate, everyone's just got around it. Like, everyone's been donating, like, from Mickey O to some of my mates here in Darwin, some random people in Perth. Um, so, yeah, we bought 10 grand worth of sporting equipment to donate um, to the remote Indigenous communities. How can people donate to you if they're interested? Yeah, just jump on the link, man, on Instagram. So, S-H-A-U-N-Y-E, Shawnee E, um, and then they'll just be in my bio. So, um, and if I don't, I, I won't be able to purchase the goods for this trip, but I'm going down to Alice Springs, um, in August to play some footy down there. So I'll just buy some more boots. Uh, I've got a good wholesaler up here where I just, um, yeah, buy the sporting goods and I'll take it down there for you. Yeah. And we'll chuck a link in the description of the show as well in the show notes, but I think that just about wraps us up in terms of questions. But Sean, if you've listened to the podcast with Courtney Dempsey, maybe you'll know that we do a, we like to do a bit of a quiz at the end of the show. So yeah, that's We'll go you against Jackson. Uh, five questions. Name's your buzzer. So you guys ready for it? Yeah. So what I, what I so you ask a question, I'll say Sean when I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Or Jackson will say Jackson. So five questions. Question one. So you mentioned a bit of a rugby league family before. You might know this one. So Sean Edwards is an Australian – sorry, not Australian, an English rugby union coach and a former rugby league player. 
He's the most decorated player in English rugby league history with 37 winners medals. And all of England's professional rugby league teams, they play in all they all play in the same league. What's the name of that league? Uh, Sean, does it start with L? It doesn't. Oh, uh, I know this dude. He's got a bold head. Because every time, <laughs> anytime someone's like does like googling or something, he always yeah. pops up like yeah. one photo of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know this one. Jackson, any idea? Um, it's a pretty generic name. Could be for anything, really. Just the English Rugby League. Uh it's the Super League. <laughs> ah, right, oh, Super League. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and they've yeah, got some teams cool. from France in there as well, and maybe one from Spain, I think, as well. Uh, yeah. yeah, so you were talking before, you went around Southeast Asia a bit after your footy career. Yeah. Now, the question is, which Southeast Asian country is the only country in the world that shares a border with only India and China? Mm, Sean, Nepal? Nepal's correct. Oh, <laughs> oh we got the wrong, wrong effect there. <laughs> 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 aye, aye, aye. <laughs> our producer there. Yeah, on your toes, <laughs> mate. <laughs> anyway, question three, move on. One nil, Shawnee. Uh, so, uh, I don't think we mentioned it, but you got the Bill Hutchison Community Award in your last year at Essendon, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yep, so um, Bill Hutchison, uh, ex-Essendon player, obviously, he won two Brownlows. But in which two decades did he play for the Bombers? Uh, Jackson. Sean. Jackson just oh, yeah. got in, I think. Uh, I'll say 60s and 70s. Incorrect. Oof. Uh, 50s and 60s? Oh, close. 40s and 50s. So oh. he played two 90 games, uh, 1942 uh, to 57. And, yeah, a bit of a legend of the Bombers, I think. So, question four. We're not going too well so far. But <laughs> <laughs> Jackson can level up if he gets this one. Question four, closest to the pin. Someone's got to get the point here. So, to the closest thousand, what's the population of Arnhem Land? 10,000. Sean, 10,000. 10,000 is incorrect, but it's closest to the pin. Jackson, Jackson do you want to oh, go? Um, let's go 12,000. Jackson, you got the point. It's closest. It's 16,000, about 16,000. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so it's one all. Uh, so but, uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, listeners, you all know that our last question is who am I? So we're going to go down from five points with a series of clues all the way down to a one-point question. And it's something kind of related to your career, Sean, as all the questions have been. So born on, uh, you were born on December 13, Sean. And so yep. the five-point clue is... I was born on December 13, 1989, in West Reading, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. I can move on if you want. Yeah, mate, go. You need a bit more. <laughs> <laughs> For four points, I've been active in my field of work since 2003, and I'm worth approximately 520 million Aussie dollars. 1989. Uh, Anyone more go for it? Jackson? One more go. Jackson, you can have a go. Am I Mark Zuckerberg? Mark Zuckerberg is incorrect. Ooh. <laughs> right, right sound effect there. Well done. Uh, so for three points, uh, I'm a singer-songwriter and released seven uh, studio albums. So, Jackson, you can't buzz in until Shawnee gets it wrong. So Seven, seven what's seven studio albums? 1989 worth $500 million. Yeah, uh, yeah, now. $520 million. Oh, no, I know it now. Seven, I don't know, man. So what is that? You get any? Do I get any more info? Uh, yeah, I can. I can give you the two point clue if you want. Move on. Yeah, go the two points, man. So Might as, as a, we get all the info. Yeah, as a child, I was drawn to the storytelling aspect of country music, which was really reflected in my early career. Oh, and no. Shania Twain was my greatest musical influence. Do you want to have a crack, or do you want me to give you the one point clue? Oh man, I've got no idea. Shania Twain was the was the impact. Jackson, does he know who it is? Jackson oh, knows no. who it is, but he can't buzz in. So I'll give you the Mate, one, give me, I'll give you the one point the one clue. Point, <laughs> yeah, give me the one point. Basically, give me the answer, yeah. and then I'll just say. <laughs> <laughs> so for one point, some of my most successful singles include "Shake It Off," oh. "Blank Space," <laughs> "Love Story," and "22." Do you know who it is, Shawnee? Oh, is it Taylor Swift? Oh. Can we have a drum roll, no? please? Can we have a drum roll? <laughs> Taylor Swift is correct. 
Oh, yeah, boy. Shorty, <laughs> what a big round of applause for Shorty if we can get it. Yeah. Oh, that's the sound effect, but we'll give a big clap on the microphone. Well done, Shorty. I don't like this being blocked Thanks, out business. <laughs> well, 2-1 two, uh, two win to Sean. Well done, mate. Um, Great performance there. Holy what do I win? What do you guys send an arm? Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a um, big, uh, I think, 10 grand check, isn't it? We'll send that out to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, well, um, I'll send up a Toyota Land Cruiser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that just about wraps us up. Anything else for Shawnee Jackson? Nah, <laughs> but thanks for uh, coming on, mate. Nah, no worries, lads. Thanks for having me and um, super effort on all the people you've got on and, um, yeah, very professional as well. So keep it, keep it going. And how good was that, Harper? That was very, very good indeed. Sean Edwards, lovely bloke, lovely to chat to, hey? Yeah, as I said in the intro, I didn't know a whole lot about him, but very interesting guy and very bubbly personality, so it was really good to have a chat with him. Yeah, great. Thanks for coming on again, Sean. It was lovely to have you. And um, Sean, uh, Northern Territory boy, so um, we're going to have a bit of a chat in our outro about some other famous Territorians uh, that have been in the VFL AFL. Who springs to mind immediately for you? So a big one who's currently still playing is uh, Sean Burgoyne. Yeah, of course. Port and Hawks. Yeah, yeah. Great plays. How many games do he play? He's it's probably, over 300 now. I reckon it's over 350. Oh, maybe. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, Hawks and Port fans out there or anyone who knows. And um, famous Rioli family, of course. Can't forget about them. Yeah. Got Cyril and Morris and Dean from there, I think, as well. So those great plays. Just, yeah, heaps of great plays from up there. Anyone else for you? Yeah. Um, you might remember him, Alwyn uh, and Aaron Davey. Oh, Alwyn Davey, yeah, Frog. Yeah, he's a great player. That was his nickname was. Yeah, yeah, Froggy. Um, I think, yeah, he, Alwyn Davey was one of the first players that I can remember first and uh, especially that, like, had that really pressure kind of um, aspect to his game and not just a small forward there just to kick goals. He tackles inside 50, really changed the way footy was played or I viewed footy at least for me um and of course you're a Pies fan do you know a famous Pies person from the Northern Territory ah he's coaching him right now yeah Bucks yeah apparently grew up in the Northern Territory so I'm we're like loosely counting him he was born in South Australia but I didn't I think he grew up a lot in the Northern Territory so we'll count him yeah and you've got uh the great Essendon fan with the Longs um uh, we had Jakey on our list a few years ago. Oh, I think he got delisted last year, year before maybe. Um, but more famously, his dad, Jake's dad, Michael, Michael Long, um, won a couple of premierships with the Bombers, great player. Um, Norm Smith, I think, in 93. But just uh, the legacy he's yeah after his career has been amazing. Yeah, just like Shawnee, not just hasn't, hasn't just done stuff in his footy career, but he's gone on, done the long walk, heaps of great um, – Charity, not-for-profit, Indigenous stuff. Um, yeah, great to say that kind of thing from Lonnie. And um, another player who's sort of in the early 2000s, late late 90s, early 2000s, Andrew McLeod. Yeah, I was just about to mention him, Andrew McLeod, great Crows player. All-time games record for Crows, maybe? I think so, but one, one of definitely the players that sticks out to mind. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we've got um, those who watch, uh, used to watch the old show on... NITV, Marnbrook, uh, they unload Gilbert, McAd- Gilbert McAdam. He's done a bit of stuff on Channel 7 as well. Uh, oh, I don't, don't know much about him as a player, um, but I think he's from up in the Northern Territory and played for North and the Saints maybe. Might be wrong there. Uh, I've definitely heard the name. I don't know where he's played. But, yeah. um, you did mention the family before, but one of the greats of the modern era, Cyril. Cyril Rioli, of course. Absolute. Legend um, of the in game. the three P, just was one of the better players in that Hawks side, and just he's the guy you just put in your team first. And it's, it was a shame to lose him, yeah, so quick, unexpected, so unexpectedly. But again, for his own reasons, and we're just glad we had him. Yeah, as like I, Good I'm not a huge him. fan of the Hawks, but yeah. <laughs> just to see him play was yeah, pretty was amazing. A bloody annoying player to <laughs> have on the other team, and um, I think this is a bit of a more obscure one, but Matthew Stokes, I think he's from the Northern Territory as well. He might have won, I think it was there for Geelong's three premierships, 07, 09 and 11. And then he came to the Bombers as a top-up player. Uh, so played a few games with the Bombers. Uh, Cats fans will all remember him very fondly. And it's just the list goes on and on, really. Uh, anyone else especially significant for you? 
Uh, not that I can think of off the top of my head, uh, except for Sean. Sean. Sean Edwards, yeah, number one, of <laughs> course. Great, greatest. Number one in our eyes. Yeah, no, should be number one in every eyes. I know, he's a great bloke. Like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, obviously, just so many great families and individuals that we've already mentioned, and the list goes on and on, really, like I said. But if you guys think of anyone else, let us know on our um, socials. On Twitter and Instagram, we're at WDWBpod, and check us out on Facebook as well, Where Do We Begin, or give us an email, check that out in the description of the show. And we're not going to ask you to donate to our Patreon this week. What are we going to do, Jackson? So as we mentioned in the pod, Sean has a GoFundMe to raise funds for his donations to Arnhem Land. So get onto that. We'll put a link in our bio and we'll put a link on the on the show notes as well. So just, if you can, donate to that. Yeah, or look up on Google, Sean Edwards, GoFundMe. It's right there. Or Sean is Instagram, Sean uh, with an A-U-Y-E. So check that out. And we're going to continue on our music thing from last week. So my good friend Justin Ling has recorded and written his own song. Uh, it's called New Chapter. So and he's he's a great singer and he's it's a great song he's written here and he's only seventeen so look out for him in the future so here it is new chapter. In life, sometimes we're down. But things will turn around If you just stay strong Sometimes you feel so sad Let go, you'll be glad Often things just go wrong Dark clouds followed anywhere I'd go I had to act like I was fine when I wasn't Now I feel so free Yeah, I've been caught in my sorrow I got over it slow my days are filled with lots of laughter Oh, I thought my hands were tied I couldn't see now I know it's time to start a brand new chapter Over it slow 